0: Hey, friends, I'm Sharon Batters, and you are listening to the Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. You know, no matter your season of life, wherever God has placed you is your platform for glorifying him. But sometimes, and I think you'll agree, it's really, really hard to see the rutted, muddy pathways of life as an opportunity to reflect Jesus, isn't it? If you are in such a place, this special edition of the Help and Hope podcast is for you. Over the summer, we held Beyond the Book, Ask the Author, as a free virtual live event where guests could submit questions to our guest author. And in this special edition, Vanitha Reisner is our guest author, and she spent an hour with us answering questions about her book, Walking Through Fire, a memoir of loss. And redemption. In her book, Vanitha writes about meeting God in suffering. Part of her story involves the loss of her infant son, Paul, which inspired the hit song, Held, recorded by Natalie Grant. I know few people who have suffered as much as Vanitha has. The loss of her son due to a doctor's error, childhood polio, and years of bullying, multiple hospitalizations, her husband's unfaithfulness, and an unwanted divorce, losing four babies through miscarriage. And yet, Vanitha's life and message offers us a purpose and peace, even when all seems lost. Vanitha is a seasoned life warrior whose heart is to come alongside other weary women who long for hope in the darkest places of life. I'm also delighted to welcome Janie Ann Wilson as our co-host for this special edition of Beyond the Book, Ask the Author. I know that Janie Ann shares my own appreciation for Vanitha's story and for her desire to offer the help and hope of the gospel to others. And so, Vanitha, thank you so much for sharing this evening with us, and we welcome you.
1: Thank you. And and before we get started, I just wanted to tell people that it's really an honor for me to be here. And Sharon's book, Treasures of Encouragement, came out a little more than 25 years ago, I guess. And it was my son Paul died 25 years ago. And that was the first book I read after Paul died. And that was an incredible encouragement to me just hearing your story, Sharon. So it feels amazing that I would get to be on this Zoom call with you. And and when you interviewed me the first time, and I just remember having read your book and being really inspired to have the kind of faith that you did after your son died. So it's just neat to be here because you really gave me a lot to think about in that book. So if people haven't read that, I would highly encourage it. I remember underlining it and and talking to people about how that encouraged me in my own faith.
0: Thank you, Benita. I really appreciate you. And it, it's such a privilege and an honor She always says yes. When I ask her to do anything, it's immediate. It's a yes. She's going to do it. And I know that it's often a sacrifice of praise. So I appreciate you so much, Vanitha, and your message. And so we're going to go to speaker view. And our first question to you, Vanitha, is you have a beautiful name, but we notice in your book that sometimes you're called Van, sometimes Vanitha. So
1: tell us a little bit about your name. One, my name, Vinita, is interesting because in India, very, very few people smell, spell it the way that it's spelled. Most people spell it V A N I T A. And even my uncle sent me an email. My dad said, um, told him my email address and it had my name in it, and he spelled it wrong. So that shows you how many people spell it another way. But when I went to college, somebody on my floor, my dorm, said she couldn't say Vinita. And as college students can be, she was like, I want to call you Van. And everybody on my hall was like, yeah, we want to call you Van too. And me being the pleaser that I was, I'm like, okay, I'll be Van. And so then everybody on my hall started calling me Van. So then everybody started calling me Van. And that's what I went by from the time I was in college to when I first got married. And with my married name, which sounded like a Dutch name, like Van something didn't sound right. Like Van Rendell was okay. That was my maiden name. But I ended up changing it, going back to Veneta after I got married and felt like I didn't need to be Van anymore. But everybody who knew me from the time I started college to the time I got married, they all called me Van and they still do. So it's kind of funny if somebody calls me and picks up the phone and says, hi, Van, I know when I knew them.
2: Well, Vinita, um, yeah, I was one that couldn't put your book down. I was really stunned by how the medical community let you down. I mean, initially your own self because of the not being diagnosed correctly as a child and the severe consequences that you've lived with to this day because of that. And then also little baby Paul's death really being the result of a doctor not telling you the right thing. And so like I personally wanted to punch somebody for you, you know? So I, I'm wondering how you process all of that has to be some bitterness or there was some bitterness and anger or or need for revenge. How do you process that?
1: Well, it's funny with my own diagnosis, I feel like I just kind of grew up knowing that. And so it wasn't that hard for me, but with Paul's, it really was hard and just sort of coming to terms with this was somebody's mistake. And I think that was, that was very, very hard at the beginning. Just wanting to know what we could have done differently, I think was one of the biggest things for me. So it was not as much mad at the doctor, but like, should I have questioned that? Should I have done something? And then the doctor, and I think I talk about it in the book, um, they wouldn't return my calls. And I think they realized that I could sue them. And so it was like crickets. And then I got the, this really big form sort of letter, like you, it was just very strange for me. Never, ever talked to the doctor again mm-hmm. who treated Paul. And so that was, that was really, really hard for me. But at the same time, I had this sense from God that like, I wasn't going to get closure on that. And so I needed to let it go because the more I thought about it, and I don't know if you guys are like that, if you feel like something's unfair, you can just let it, Sit with you till you can't think of anything else, and I realized I needed to let that go for me because this guy we weren't going to sue because I knew from other people I've known who've sued because of medical things it just drags your heart through a lot that doesn't bring your son back. And so we had prayed about it and decided not to sue. and I thought, if we're not going to do that, then I really need to let this go. And it's so funny because I was talking to somebody today about that whole idea of forgiveness and I mean, it doesn't have to be for everybody here. It doesn't have to be like a son who died. I mean, we need there's just so many little things that people do to us all the time that we can either sort of sit with or we can release. And I find that that's true for everything I deal with. i mean i I was dealing with an insurance person, and you know, forgiving them was honestly pretty hard for the way they were getting upset with me recently. So yeah, it was hard, but I think it was for me this process of saying... God, you need to take this from me. You have to help me forgive. And and in the book, I talk about the fact that my ex-husband had an affair and I had learned to forgive him through that. And I feel like once you've forgiven something, you understand the process a lot better. And so I think that was a big part of why it was easier for me, honestly, is I learned you can't rehearse it. You've got to release it because every time you rehearse it, it goes deeper.
0: That is a really good way of putting it, rehearse it or release it. Like if you keep repeating a matter to yourself, which I do, I mean, I, I, I fight it. I have these mental conversations with people that I feel have treated me unjustly or someone that I care about deeply that have treated me unjustly over and over and over again and I recognize recently, especially I, I was thinking about this and thought, you know, talk to yourself, but talk to yourself about God's grace and not those places that have been so hurtful because it's that bitterness. You know, we've heard that it's like uh, to not forgive is giving
1: the rat poison and or as what? Well, how does that go? Oh, I knew you were going to ask that. I think it's yeah, not forgiving is like drinking poison and hoping someone else will die. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes.
0: Well, Vanitha, another question that we wanted to ask you is you clearly have a close relationship with the Lord and you've been through all kinds of broken places, which any of them might've had a door that said, I'm done. I'm done with this. I, I'm done with you. I'm, I'm done with all of it. So how did that kind of faith come about? I mean, what, what is your foundation and how would you advise someone who desires that kind of relationship with God, especially if they are in the middle of a really hard
1: place. In some ways, I think about what Peter said when Jesus says, you know, are you all going to walk away too when Jesus had a hard teaching? And Peter says, you know, where can we go? Only you have the words of life. And so I think that was partly for me. Like I would say I never, I haven't considered walking away from God, but at the same time, Sharon, I have considered leaning away which isn't saying I'm done with Christianity. I'm done with you, God, but it is, I don't want to look at you. Like I am so hurt. I don't want to look at the person who I begged to save my son and I begged to save my marriage and I begged to do all these things and they, they didn't happen. And so I would say I've often leaned away and thought, I don't want to be close to you, God, because that feels dangerous. Mm -hmm. And yet God keeps drawing me back. And so it really is for me, this process of lament, which is being honest with God. I feel like when I try to pretend that it's all okay, sort of give God the cold shoulder. We see that in relationships. Like if you pretend it's okay, you're not really close to somebody, but you can just kind of go through the motions, but you drift farther and farther apart. And that is really what happened to me after Paul died. But then, when you are willing to say, "This is hard. I need you," but I want to tell you how hard this is, and I have tons of questions, and you see that all through the Bible, that draws you back. It draws you back into a conversation and a relationship, and God gets to meet you. and And I would say, in every hard suffering I have had, God has met me in an extraordinary way when I've called out to Him. So that's what keeps me coming back to God. Is actually the gift of God's presence and realizing maybe I'll never understand why these hard things happened, but I have God and his provision and I can't walk away from that.
0: I have another question, Vanita, that really piggybacks on on that one. This mom says, I lost my only child. This will be three years this coming August. It feels like yesterday. Can you share at what point did you feel that God was telling you to look to him for strength when you had none? And what did you do to answer
1: the call to cling to him? Just kind of calling out to God and being honest with him. That has always been the way back to God for me. It has never been stoicism or or telling myself like, this is good for you. Now, I feel like when I go back to God, I tell myself, God tells me this is good for you, but I'm not a pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make it through. I'm going to throw yourself on Jesus and tell him how you feel and beg him for faith and beg him to give you what you need. And mm-hmm. he will. I just don't have any strength in myself. I, I know without God, I would be a mess. I'd walk away. I, would, I don't know what I do. So, But it involves actually having to ask. I know that sounds super basic, but so often we don't ask. We mm-hmm. don't say, I'm weak and I'm angry and I don't know what to do with all these feelings. And I don't know how to, how to get over the death of my child. And I don't know where you are in this. Show me your goodness. Mm-hmm. And God shows up every time.
0: I think probably part of the question from this woman is also, what do you do? Like, in, how long does it take you before you are finding that kind of solace mm. with the Lord? You know, that wrestling. And I can, I definitely resonate with that. But lamenting is turning toward the Lord. Rather than away from it, you might be saying the same things, you know, with your back to him, but when you're turning toward him, to me, that's a sign of strong faith, even though the world, the church world even might see it, say it's weakness to have those kinds of questions and strugglings. And I used to call it wrestling with the Lord and meeting with him, reading the scriptures every day, even though it took a long time for me to find that kind of deep rest and surrender to him. And so, for you, with you had so many losses like that, you said that your husband's infidelity, learning to forgive him, actually helped prepare you mm-hmm. for next time that you yeah. would need to forgive. Would you say that would be the same about your relationship to the Lord? That when another loss hit, were you better prepared? for that loss, do you think? Or, you know, was there a pattern in your life that it was your auto response because of what you've been in the past, been through in the past?
1: Yes, I would say that. I would say that once you've found that God is absolutely faithful, when your nightmare comes true, you know, he's going to be faithful again. Certainly it is your own wanting to pull away. I mean, it's not that you know, once I saw God was faithful, I didn't want to pull away. But each time I knew that Jesus was the only way I was going to find life and find my way out of it. But in terms of how long it takes, it takes as long as it takes. I mean, for someone three years after losing your child, like you're going to grieve every day. You're going to, you know, and that loss is like an amputation. You're never not going to be aware of it. So feeling pain and crying and feeling lost, like that may happen for years, but at the same time, there can be this, okay, God, I'm going to trust you and pray. And, and I do feel like feelings of God's presence are not this, they're not what we hang our faith on. I mean, because there are times when God feels silent and life is dark. And, you know, sometimes I've said, you know, you read the Bible when it feels like eating cardboard and you pray when it feels like talking to a wall. And yet, even in the midst of that process, God God comes through. But in terms of somebody saying, like, do you have a timeline? I wish I did. It just, it, for me, it's every day, though. It was just asking God, like, be near to me.
2: I love that. You bring it down to something so simple, but not easy, you know, to call out and to say, I need, and I'm thinking of the scenes in your book where you did that. And the Lord met you in such personal ways. It's beautiful. So I did almost read your book in one sitting and I resisted crying Mm -hmm. until I got near the end. And you wrote about all the people who had been there for you in different ways, seeing them all together, the community and I just completely lost it because that is such a powerful picture to me. But surely there are times when your community let you down. And I think of they didn't, you know, maybe know what to do with your grief and they avoided you in the grocery store or, you know, things like that. How would you talk to a friend who is hurt and ready to give up on the church because it just doesn't feel
1: like a safe place anymore? Yeah, I've talked to so many people who feel that way and I get it. I mean, one, people do lots of things. One, they're too afraid to show up, so they don't. And they feel like you might not notice, like, oh, I didn't show up. There's a ton of people that didn't show up. But as somebody who's been a sufferer, you do, there are people that you count on. And when they don't call or they don't show up, it's hard. But then I have a confession to make. I've been on the other side and thought, oh, I don't know what to say. I mean, you'd think I would know what to say,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but I often don't know what to say. And so I think, oh, well, you know, I, I don't know what to do. I, it's going to be awkward. I don't know what to say. So having been on both sides, I get it. It's so painful when you're going through it, but then other people aren't trying to hurt you. They just don't know what to do. Um. So I would say to someone like one Be honest with your close friends. Like, there's going to be a ton of people that will pass by you. They'll either say nothing and that will hurt, or they will say way too much and that will hurt too. At my son's funeral, somebody came up to me, still remember a bunch of things like, don't forget, God uses, God's going to use this one day. You'll rejoice. You know, God works all things together for good for those who love the Lord. And those are all true, but don't say that at the funeral you know, and then there's the trite, not true things like heaven needed another angel or things that are not even true. We're not going to be angels. And so I think just talking to the people that you really care about, if they didn't show up or if they said something that was hurtful. And I say this, like I do it all the time and I struggle with confronting people. But when I do, when I say, Hey, that was really hard. Then somebody has the opportunity to say, you know what? I feel really bad. I didn't do that. Or I'm so sorry. And that can really bring healing because it's easier to try to stuff pain down, especially the way we've been hurt by people. But we pull away then, you know, we just kind of feel like, oh, they're not as close as we thought. And then I think there's a lot of people that we need to just overlook and realize they don't know. They're not trying to hurt us. Um, so I think it's just sort of balancing who that person is to you and then just trusting God's going to bring who he needs into your life. And and I'm not saying never leave a church over suffering, but I think really hard about leaving a church over suffering because people are trying, but there are times when it's time to leave a church. So I'm not at all saying like, you got to stay in every church, even if you've been super hurt. But I think it's worth it to go and talk to people first.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think I hear you saying, if you feel the need to leave because there's too much hurt, you don't leave the church, you find another place, another community, another place to worship and take the risk, even though it it might feel unsafe, because it probably is unsafe if you're going to just be looking for that one-sided comfort, It's just risky business, you know,
0: being, being in the community. Yeah. This next question is, it's a really painful question. It's, we have a friend who is pregnant with a child who has a syndrome, which means the baby will not live until its first birthday. The parents are strong believers, and this is quite possibly their only child. How would you encourage them to prepare for the birth and for caring for their baby and
1: their hearts? (sighs) All on Jesus. I mean, this is so deep and so hard. I mean, I would say just read the word, trust God and get used to lament. Like, I mean, lamenting really is the space of crying out to God while trusting in his goodness. And I don't know any other way to go through something like that. Be real, be authentic, present into God. This is going to be hard. I mean, I don't think you can prepare for suffering. It was interesting. I was on a panel with Nancy Guthrie once and she lost two children with the same syndrome. And she said, she thought with the second one, she'd be like, okay, we've been through this. And she said, grief steamrolled her. I don't think we can ever be prepared for grief. We can be prepared in terms of like, I know I'm going to struggle. I want to have Psalms. I want to read. I want to be honest. Journaling has helped me a ton, but at the same time, like, I don't think we know how we're going to feel when that happens. And so maybe have people, people praying for us and saying, I'm going to need prayer. And maybe even before it happens, figuring out what are the things that are helpful for you? Because I think people don't know, like I, like I might love presents. My kids love presents. Both of my daughters have presents as a love language. And if somebody didn't know that they probably wouldn't give them gifts. You know, one of them is quality time. The other doesn't want quality time. Like don't, don't go visit her, but write her a note. And so I think when you know, you're going to go through something really hard, maybe it's good to understand what's comfort for you. And what do you want? Do you want space or do you want people at your door with salty snacks and chocolate? Like I want Mm -hmm. people at my door with salty snacks and chocolate, Mm -hmm. but some people just want to be alone. And I think understanding that for yourself could be really hard because you can't put words to what you need when you actually need it. So maybe that would help.
0: Mm. That's really insightful. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about two families who were in this situation and one of them, actually, you mentioned that we had a conversation for the help and hope podcast. And you can go to markinc.org where you can find that conversation that Anita and I had. And we have loads and loads of redemption stories there. And one of them I did recently with a mom who knew that her baby was going to die. And she wanted to make sure that people knew her baby, that she said, this is a covenant child and I'm not going to hide. I want my baby to be a part of the church family. And one of the things that she requested, and it did happen, was to have her baby baptized in utero. In front of the congregation, which was a very powerful moment for the congregation to understand. The other family knew that their child was going to die. Maybe, maybe a year, maybe six months. Maybe, they didn't know, and they made sure they had pictures with lots of people with their baby, so that that gave the you know, people will not forget. They they did not just like we don't want anyone to forget our children who we've lost. Their babies are just the same as our babies. And so I think those are really two practical things it was very thoughtful mm-hmm. and intentional for those parents to do that. And, you know, I know there might've been people who were uncomfortable with it, but it didn't matter to the mother. This was her plan and she's going to do it and she's grateful that she mm-hmm. did it. And I think the congregation was better for it as well, but it's very, it's unique to the person, isn't it?
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, everybody has different things. And I think just, understanding that and telling people so that they don't say thoughtless things or do things that are really uncomfortable i think yeah. is is helpful when people know and just to piggyback on that
0: i would also say pick your battles because you only have so much energy for every day and there might be someone who did something they didn't mean to but you're really angry and hurt by it decide whether or not you want to spend some of your grief energy on that on that particular person or situation mm you probably don't you probably make right. for something else so so you share really transparently about
2: how you kind of blew it with your daughters at different points mm-hmm. and anybody that has children it, that re- relates to that but how did god show up when you messed up can can you speak about that and and maybe even about your daughter's rejection of the face and and what god was teaching you through that
1: heartbreak yeah i tell about um even pouring a full glass of ice water on my daughter. So I, I really, you know, got angry, but she deserved it. I think she deserved it too, but you know, that's a whole nother story. Um, I mean, how would she want to be defiant to me? That's really what I didn't understand, but I feel like one single parenting is the hardest job in the world. So if anybody here is a single parent, it is the hardest thing because yet there's nobody to talk you off the ledge. So, it's just really, really hard to figure out the balance of what your kids need. And it's just really easy to be frustrated because there's nobody to give you just any space in the midst of that. So that was really hard. Single parenting was one of the hardest things for me after um, after Dave left. At the same time, it was so amazing to see God work in my daughter's lives. I mean, they both at some point said they didn't want anything to do with God. And that was the deepest part of my heartache was just thinking what are what's going to happen with them. And I remember a friend of mine just said to me, this is a long game. She said, we're at, you're at the beginning. So don't judge what's going to happen by right now. And and that was very helpful for me because I think we often want to see like things turn around quickly. And so we're always waiting for that great conversation moment where we're going to say the most brilliant thing. And they're going to be like, Oh my gosh, why did I not get that? Why have I been defiant? I, you know, repent in dust and ashes. And, you know, we don't get those moments and we keep waiting for them. But when she said, This is a long game, I remember thinking, Okay, I got to play this as a long game and I need to pray for them, but not try to find all these ways to keep changing them. But can I sit with them in their pain? And I think that was really helpful for them. And I don't think I did it well, honestly. So, I don't feel like I'm this great. Nobody has ever asked me to write a book on parenting, and there's probably a really good reason for it. So I don't consider myself this great parenting expert. And yet God, by his grace, brought my daughters both back to him. And I just got to, to see that, and I'm so grateful for it. I don't know if I have words of wisdom besides pray, 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 pray. Trust God. There's probably people here that are praying and trusting God, and they haven't seen fruit. and it doesn't mean that one, you won't see fruit because it is a long game and you, you may not see fruit for a long time. But when was the turning point for your children? I don't know if there was one exact like moment, but for my older daughter, she was involved in a camp, kind of a Christian camp that had stuff during the week as well, not just the summers. And I think just being involved in that and doing some things just had a place for her to share what was going on with other believers and counselors and stuff. And I I think that was really helpful for her. And I think my younger daughter's was a little more dramatic in that she really just wanted to die. She was so desperate at the end of her rope. And she said, she just called out to God and said, like, I need your help. And I really saw this huge change in her after she did that. And I didn't even know that she'd done that, but she just kind of came to the end of herself Mm. and had been pretty destructive before that. So it was, it was a really heartbreaking time in my life before that. And I mean, God was really gracious in that.
0: I think that sometimes we forget that everybody in the home is broken. Mm-hmm. The mom is broken, the children are broken, and everybody's trying to figure out how to proceed. You're in a foreign land. You've never walked there before. You have no idea what, what you're supposed to be doing. And your children are too young to be grown ups. And to, the grown ups are having a hard enough time. And so then our mm-hmm. children, they are even more messed up, <laughs> I think, because they've never walked this way before either. And they don't have the equipping for this. Their brains aren't fully developed and they're, they haven't learned how to keep their emotions under control, all of it. They have all this anger. They don't know where to throw it. So can imagine, I mean, uh, so you, you went through all of that and then they were rejecting your faith, letting you know that they don't want anything to do with, with what you believed. What did God teach you through this heartbreaking development? What, what are some of the things that he taught you? Maybe just one, one just jumps right up.
1: Mm, You're just in the middle of your story is, is what comes to mind first. Like, I think we look at what we're in right now as sort of, this is how it's always going to be. And we forget that we're in the middle of our stories Mm. and we don't know whether we're about to turn the page and something really amazing is going to happen. Or when we turn the page, it might still be hard, but we're still just in one chapter and I think getting that perspective has helped me a lot. I feel like I learned when I thought it was so dark, things got a lot brighter. And there are other times when I thought things were really bright and they became dark. But God is writing a good story, I would say, and just holding on to that.
0: One of the questions in the that was submitted through the chat was, you were willing to go back into the darkness. Why were you willing to write this book? so transparently? I mean, you just put yourself out there. And were there times where you wished that you didn't have to write, where it just got so hard that you would rather have just walked away? That's yeah. Kind of
1: yeah. I know. It's crazy. Yeah. I would <laughs> tell a million, I mean, not a million, but a lot of people, <laughs> all the, the weird stuff I did. Um, I think it's because I wanted people to see that God uses broken people. I, I think a lot of times I read these heroes of the faith and they're amazing, but I think I'm not like that. I fall, I make stupid mistakes. I, I hurt people and they hurt me and I hold grudges. And I just wanted people to see that sometimes the Christian life doesn't look so pretty. And we all like just happy all the time. Like there's a lot of grit and doubt. And yet we serve a God who's so much bigger than our, Mm -hmm. our struggles and, we can take our brokenness and our sin and all of those things and God uses it. And so that's why I wanted to write the book and be transparent, because I wanted people who are going through hard things and don't have a perfect response to feel that that they're, it doesn't mean they're not enough or that their faith isn't enough, but that they would just keep going back to God.
2: Yeah, it's pretty clear in your book, too, that you, you're compelled by Jesus' love for you. And it, I mean, it came through. If I wanted to show someone what it looks like to walk with God and to live the Christian life, I, I could hand them your book for sure. And they would see it's messy. <laughs> it's really messy, but um, there's an anchor through it all. And, and that just comes back over and over and over again in, in such beautiful and wonderful ways. It was very faith affirming to read it. You do write a journal, you keep a journal how do you know what to write? How has God used that in your life? How often do you write in it? Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: So I pretty much write in it every day. I'm having some trouble with my hands with post-polio, so I write less. I used to write a lot more, but I do two things. One, I usually start with sort of where am I today? What's happened yesterday? Just a few lines, sometimes just to sort of orient my mind of where did I see God yesterday? Or what are the things I'm struggling with? What are the things I'm praying for? So I'll write bullet points, a couple of sentences, like nothing really super long, unless something really hard has happened. And sometimes I'll jump right in and start trying to process that and just writing, this is how I'm feeling. This is what I'm saying. Like and interspersing that with like, help me to to see this rightly. So I'll do that. And then um, I use a Bible reading plan and I have for years. And so I will flip to where I'm supposed to read for my Bible reading plan. And I usually pray and just say, God, show me something. And I feel like I go to my Bible study with expectation. Like it doesn't matter where I am. I am expecting God to show up. And that has really changed how I read the Bible, just expecting God to show up. So I have a red pen and a black pen. And with the red pen, I'm going to write one verse at least in red based on something that I have read. And that is the exact quote from scripture. So red is always for me to quote the scripture exactly. And I kind of wait and I read and I say, okay, God, I I need you to know, I need to know where you're going to speak to me today. And pray. And then sometimes I don't even know why, but I will write something down. I mean, I find something to write down and then I'll just interact with the Lord with it in black. And that has opened my eyes to so many things. And that's a lot of what I journal. But if I'm in a really hard place, like those years after my ex-husband left or after Paul died, a lot of it was just my feelings and thoughts. But When I'm not in a hard place, it's a lot more about what did I write and read and what is God showing me? And I think both have been really life-giving to me.
0: Who um, do you write for in your journals? Somebody, uh, when I I journal and someone has said, what's going to happen to all your journals when you die? She said, her friend said, she and her friend had a a pact between them that they promised each other that if one died, the other one would rush over to the house and get the journals and burn them.
1: Yeah. So I'm trying to figure that out myself to be totally honest. Because I told my sister, like, I, I gotta show me some amazing things. So I'm like, do I want to burn them? But then do I want people to read them? No. Like these will <laughs> not be the journals of Jim Elliot, let me tell you. Oh, right. But um, but at the same time, it feels like wow, I have spent so many years. So I trust my sister more than anybody on the planet.
2: Mm-hmm. So I'm like,
1: so I'm careful not to write about her. So you know, that's the funny thing. I'm like, Even if I'm mad at her, I'm like, oh, she's going to be reading this one day. So (laughs) I got to be really nice about her. But everybody else I'm feeling like is kind of fair game because I'm assuming she's going to filter it. And I actually realize I need to get on the good side of her daughter because, you know, when she dies, then maybe her daughter's going to be reading it. So I need to make sure I don't talk about (laughs) her. But that's kind of what I'm thinking is. Maybe there's something valuable, but somebody would probably have to redact a lot of it. You know, like they do in the court documents. So, (laughs) okay, Janie, you better, I better stand your good side. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you just have to have that person you just don't really uh, write about much in the journal, besides that they're so wonderful. That that's (laughs) probably what you need to be like. Oh, I'm so grateful for my sister. (laughs) And just go on. Yeah.
0: (laughs) It's interesting. I Years ago, I I realized that, oh, my goodness, people might read this sometime. And so instead of writing names of people that I was upset with, I would write just like the letters or initials. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, Vanita, because I've gone back and looking for something and I'll find an entry where I was having some kind of issue. But I didn't write a whole lot of details because I didn't want to, you know, slander anybody. I have no idea what I was writing Mm. about. I have, I have the initials and I have the emotions, but I don't have the details of the situation, but I also have what God shared with me and what he was teaching me and how he was molding me and all of that. So I'm grateful for those that now having this conversation, I'm grateful for for that, but I, I hope you won't burn yours. I'm sure that there's no. loads of treasures in there that God still wants
1: to to share with us. So well, yeah, who knows? I might need to go back when I have some time and just kind of cross out the names and go with initials. There you go. It <laughs> might take a while, but it might be worth it. There you go.
0: Mm -hmm. I think um, sometimes we think we have to put on a good face when we are in the church, when we're and, and maybe outside of the church. But as Christians, we want to put on a good face, even though we are hurting. And I have to admit to you, when Mark died, one of the things I thought was when I was praying to God, my reaction, my initial reaction was, God, I know you've got something up your sleeve here. You're planning something and people are going to expect me to be this holy woman because I'm a pastor's wife and a Bible study leader, but I'm not putting on the face. I, I know what the pastor's wife is supposed to look like, and I'm not wearing that face. And what, what you see is what you get because I need to know that you're doing a work in me and I'm not pretending or putting it on. But I think this is a real hard place for many of us to be is we feel that responsibility mm-hmm. that we are supposed to always be su- surrendered and peaceful and you know, all of those things. It, are we are we supposed to be like that do you think uh, as far as the scriptures teach us
1: no i mean i think we're supposed to be real i mean i think that's what the church needs more of i think when we stifle our own pain and our own lament we stifle the pain and lament of people around us cuz they think oh good christians don't do that
2: mm-hmm. you know
1: we need to if we want to look holy we need to say oh god is good all the time when yes he's good all the time but it doesn't feel good and i think it's a service when people are real Honestly, I am so thankful when people say, wow, this was hard versus, you know, it was hard, but I just made it through and, and oh. I never felt pain. Like that's not real, I don't think. And I think that's why people get this impression of Christianity that's, that it's kind of fake and hypocritical because people are afraid to be themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Holy Spirit lives in us. I mean, we need to trust that.
2: I like what you said um, in answer to the other question, get used to lament, It's honoring to God to lament and, and it is a blessing to the community to, to share lament because that's such a good point. We're stifling others Mm -hmm. from being able to enjoy that process if we act like it's not there. Mm -hmm. So, so how do you keep, if you do, (laughs) how do you keep from using your
1: pain as an excuse for sinful attitudes and behavior? I wouldn't say I'm a hundred percent good at that, but You know, because I mean, sometimes I'm like to my husband, "Ah, you know, it would be really nice if you make dinner. and But I think it is a matter of going to God. I mean, I do think it is a temptation to want, for me, self-pity is probably the biggest thing is for people to feel sorry for me and to, or, you know, sort of to want my own glory for people to say, oh my gosh, I can't believe all you've been through and to maybe, make people want to kind of put me on a pedestal, I guess. And it's easy to want to use your suffering that way. And I think it's really recognizing it just with any other sin that we have is recognizing what our tendency is. I think with suffering, everybody would have their own like tendencies. Some people might think I don't want to get out of bed and I want people to just serve me. Now I'm like a ridiculous, like get out of bed, don't rest person. Mm -hmm. So, which is kind of a sickness in itself. So that's not my tendency, but I have other ones. And so I think for every one of us, it's where do we go and what are we looking for that isn't of God in the midst of, you know, what are we trying to get from people or where are we trying to excuse things? And and also, also though, I think sometimes in suffering, we need to acknowledge what we need. I think sometimes I have tried to move forward, sort of as you had said, Sharon, feeling like, okay, other people are watching me. I need to do the right stuff versus acknowledge what's hard for me. So I think there's really a balance of of letting it be simple in that I feel like I don't even have permission to grieve myself or to take a day off or to rest when I'm tired or any of those things.
0: Yeah, I think it is a a big temptation to sometimes use our pain, but God uses those moments as sandpaper too. If we're running to him, as you have said so many times tonight, run to the Lord, run to to the Lord and we're running to him. And we can, when we feel that irritation or that anger or that we want to pity ourselves coming up and saying, okay, Lord, this is a moment where it seems that there's something you want me to learn here and transfer my bitterness, anger, whatever to you and you give me your grace. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a, I think it's a lifelong journey. Mm-hmm. It is a lifelong journey. But he does amazing things in, in miraculous things. Vanita, we have asked all of our questions, but we're going to open this up to our friends who are here tonight. Uh, and find out if any of you would like to ask Benita a question. We only have a few minutes, but since we started late, we're going to take a few minutes past eight to see if any of you have a question or a comment that you would like to share with Benita. I don't see any questions in the chat besides the one that we already shared, but if, if it's in there, if you wrote something in there and we didn't cover it, now's a good time. You can share it.
1: I have a question.
0: We often talk about forgiving others, but did she ever find the need that she needed to forgive herself? Like I lost my son and
1: sometimes I, I reflect back on things and wonder, you know, if I had did this or if, you know, if I had did this better
0: or that better. But I was just wondering through her with all the suffering that she has been through, did she ever find a need to forgive herself?
1: I would say, Linda, that um, what I did with a lot of those things where I felt guilty because I felt like I could have taken my son to the ER. Somebody had told me after the doctor took him off all his medicine, maybe you need to go take him to the ER. And he looked fine. And I thought, oh, he's fine. I can wait. The doctor is going to call me back. And And Paul died in between that. And so there was this sense of, wow, if I had done that differently, would he be alive? And that really not at me for a long time. And so for me, it was just sort of writing that out and asking God to show me truth and to to help me process that well And, and to forgive me if I was not listening to him. So I don't know if it looked like me forgiving myself as much as just being honest with God about how hard that was and asking God to forgive me if I did anything, but also to help for God to help me not to keep beating myself up over it, just realizing that God God used that. And I think so often we have regrets because we, you know, I had a friend who wasn't totally sober. I let them drive and you just feel so bad. Like I made a decision that, that will impact eternity and lots of people. But I think for me, it was going to God with it. Like, I don't necessarily have a process to forgive yourself, but I do have a process of writing it out and saying, God, help me with this and forgive me for where I was wrong. I,
0: maybe not everybody, but most people that I know who lost children all go back and say, if only, if only I had done this, if only I had done that. And we, I've done it. And it really is a point of surrendering, of saying, Lord, this I'm going to trust you are good all the time and you are sovereign. And, and another scripture that really encourages me is that all of our days are written in his book before one of them came to be. That has been such a comfort to me as I think about our son, Mark, and, and my life. All of my days are written in his book as well.
1: Yes, I love that, Sharon. I would totally agree with that. I mean, that, those are the things that give you peace. It's like God, God's numbered our days. Vanitha,
0: thank you so much for sharing this evening with us. And once more, you have encouraged us with your surrender to God's love and purpose for your life and your longing to share His goodness and faithfulness with others, especially those who are hurting. Friends, if you haven't read Vanitha's book, Walking Through Fire, be sure to order it now. I had a hard time putting it down. Sometimes tears streamed down my cheeks. Not only because of the sorrow Vanitha has experienced, but because of her clarion call that God is sovereign and we can trust him, even in the most broken places. I'm Sharon Betters, and my co-host has been Jane Ann Wilson. And we both hope you will not only get Vanitha's book, but visit markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org, where you are going to find many more resources designed to offer the help and hope of Jesus. They're not just for those who are hurting, but they are there to encourage you to know that when those broken places come in your life, God's faithfulness will be there for you as well. And to also equip us to come alongside others who are hurting. I hope that no matter what today brings to you, that as you walk by faith, you will remember that God is sovereign and you can trust him. Thank you for listening to this Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Visit markinc.org, M A R K I N C.org, to find additional free resources on a variety of topics. Online counseling services are also available through Anchored Hope Biblical Counseling by visiting Help and Hope Now. Dot org. That's help and hope now dot org. Download the Help and Hope app on your mobile device. Hope is just one click away.